Well, welcome. We are glad you're here. And if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. There are people who will come around and give you a Bible just in case you need one. My name is Steve Mayo. And again, welcome to the Exchange Church. I am not the pastor here and I am filling in. So let me get out of the way right away. Josiah Graves, along with his family, uh, Kimber and Micah, and think some others are in California, uh, which is where they're from, getting some much, much needed rest and relaxation. So we're excited about that. They will be back, I think, later on this week. Um, but we're excited that um, they are getting a chance to get away and also excited that you're here. Um, so we just want to say that. And I'll say this. When he gets back, you have to ask him a question for me because In-N-Out Burger is like his kryptonite. That's what I heard. Now, I don't know if you've been to California, you know about In-N-Out Burger, but that's like his kryptonite. I think one time he told me that in a seven-day span of going, he ate at In-N-Out Burger ten times. And I was like, I don't know if that's good for your system, bro, but um, that's what happened. And so uh, you have to ask him how many times he frequented In-N-Out Burger. Uh, my uh, title is Director of Discipleship over at uh, Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And so it's my privilege to get to serve in that way. Um, But it's also my privilege and honor to be here with you this morning um, and open up the word. And so I'm thrilled what God is doing with the exchange. I remember even in talking with Josiah, um, having gotten a chance to be his friend um, along his journey um, in ministry and with his family and when this was just an idea. And so every time I come and see all of you and what God is doing, it's amazing to me. um, And I'm really excited about that. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 24, and we're going to pick up with your study, our study through the book of Mark. And so last time, I think we ended in verse 22, 23. We're going to pick up here with an amazing account of Jesus again meeting people who are desperate to see him. And just a little bit about the book of Mark, just in case you don't know, first gospel ever penned. Um, Peter had a huge hand in helping Mark write this book. I know Josiah calls this the ADD gospel. A lot of times it bounces around to a lot of different places and a lot of different stories. But uh, we see Jesus a lot of times as very polarizing, meaning whatever he says, he's going to cause you to make a decision on. Jesus is going to speak and either you're going to think, man, this person is crazy. He's blaspheming, um, you know, the name of God, like the religious leaders and Pharisees, or I'm like a handful of people who are ever growing as we read this book are going to say, no, he's the Messiah. They recognize that he is truly the Messiah sent from God. And so we're going to dive into this. And everywhere we see Jesus, we see him bringing life. We see him bringing hope. We see him bringing restoration. Uh, We see him restoring things and bringing healing. And so that's the Jesus we see in the book of Mark. And uh, we're going to dive in. And and today we're going to see him encounter some people, once again, who are desperate to see him. And so if you read with me, Mark chapter 7, verse 24, we will read right here. 24 through 37. Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered the house, he wanted no one to know of it. Yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Seraphonician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this, your answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed and the demon having left. 
And again, he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his finger into his ears, and after spitting, he touched the tongue with saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Aphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began to speak plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's just take some time and go to the Lord in prayer before we dive in. Lord, we thankful again for your word, because it's truth. And so I pray, God, that even as we unpack it today, Lord, you'll once again make it living, make it something we can take with us. Um, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Ever wanted to get away? Ever wanted to, someone say yes, ever wanted to get away, you really, really wanted to get away and you couldn't get away. So you wanted to take a vacation, you wanted to take a trip, maybe there's a retreat, you just wanted to go and for whatever reason you couldn't get away, maybe it was your job, maybe you had work, um, or maybe, you know, for a lot of young people I've seen here, maybe, you know, it was like a huge exam, so you wanted to go away for a weekend, but you had a huge exam coming up on Monday, you couldn't go and you were stuck wherever you were at and you just couldn't go, or maybe it was a commitment or friends or something, but you just couldn't go. And see, and as you felt that, like, ah, I want to get away, I want to go, then social media makes it worse. Because I know, like, and I know there's some people in here who can't imagine, like, there was a world without social media. I know some of you are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that. Um, How do those poor people ever exist? But, you know, social media makes it worse because before social media, you couldn't see everyone who decided to go and was having a good time. And so now you're wherever you're at and you see pictures like this of people who are almost having a really good time, right? And it's the picture, the picture almost, your selfies, right, in videos too, but the pictures almost speak at you like, you know, like, hey, you know, you couldn't go, but we're here. We're having a good time. And you're just like, ah, I can't believe it. And it's just like, you know, it gets at you. But here's what I think is worse. So how many times has this happened to you where you've actually been able to go? And you've been able to go and you've been able to take that trip. But once you go, something happens on that trip that causes you to have to spend time and energy focusing on it. And even though you're on a trip or you're on vacation, you can't really relax because you're focused on something else that takes your attention. Maybe it's like a family matter that like pressingly needs your attention, or maybe it's, you know, friend drama. I'm sure no one's ever experienced friend drama in this room at all, right? Um, Or, you know, maybe it's just something, maybe it's a work disaster where you're supposed to, you know, be on vacation, you're supposed to be spending time with people, it's supposed to be R&R, but you can't get there because you're focused. You know, you might be like this, like those two things, the computer and the beach just don't go together. Can we agree? on that like don't take it um and you know you're on your phone or something and you know your wife is like come on get off the phone you know you're having that work call or you know maybe your kids are you know like ah and your friends are like hitting you in the head with the frisbee like you know um but you can't get away and if you ever experience that the reason i start with that is because i want to say this is what we're going to see right here mark chapter seven is jesus dealing with in a little bit of a way the same thing that you know you've ever 
experience if you've experienced that. Jesus is also dealing with that same kind of thing. He's getting away, but there's a suppressing thing that is coming to him that's, that's, it wants his attention. He's going to give it the attention. And so Mark chapter 7, verse 24 says, Jesus got up and went away from here to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered the house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape. So stay with me. Jesus is getting away. He's leaving Galilee. He's going away to Tyre. If you know, it's about 50 miles north-northwest. And then Sidon is even 20 miles further north. And then eventually he's going to make like a circular route back through Decapolis. And this is like 120 miles, just so you know, on foot. Hey, there's no uh, lift we're not talking about Uber. You know, this is going to be like a long journey. This could be months, okay? This could be six months. By the time this whole thing happens, it could be six to 12 months. And Jesus is getting away. And there's some reasons why he's getting away. He's leaving Capernaum. And he's leaving Capernaum because, one, things are getting hot right now. Meaning, uh, if you've been following along, you've been here. Josiah's been teaching through the book of Mark that, you know, um, it's at a fever pitch. People are trying to find Jesus. They're trying to kill him. They want to kill him. They're, you know, sick of what he's been teaching. Um, and at the same time, you know, the crowds are always pressing in on Jesus. And so he says, you know what, let's get away. And about this time, he has about one year left um, in his ministry before, you know, he fulfills what he's come to do. And he wants to spend some time with his 12. He wants to spend some key time with them. And so he goes away and he's going to invest in them. And then all of a sudden, here comes this woman. And I want you to look at a phrase that's really interesting. He says, he could not escape notice. You know, other sections of scripture in the gospels in, in Matthew says he could not keep his presence secret. Now, listen, Jesus could keep his presence secret. I think when it says he could not keep his presence secret, that means he had an appointment that was worth more to him than, you know, exactly maybe what the disciples thought they were going to do. And here's why I say this. If you're familiar with um, John chapter 4, Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. And in John chapter 4, verse 4, it says Jesus, who was going, you know, from Galilee, says he had to pass through Samaria. Okay, he didn't have to pass through Samaria. People skipped Samaria all the time, especially if you were Jewish. But I love that phrase, he had to pass. I think it's like here, he couldn't keep his presence secret. It's almost like Jesus has an appointment with this person. He knows he wants to have an appointment with this person. And so, in a sense, he could not keep his presence secret because Jesus says, if I'm going to make a decision between, you know, what the disciples think we're going to do and what I could do, I'm going to spend time with this person. And so that's what we see. And so here comes this woman whose daughter has an unclean spirit, and she comes and falls at his feet. Verse 25, but after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter, okay, so she's little, had an unclean spirit, immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of the Seraphonician race. We're going to stop there. I don't know if you got like most likely to do something like in high school, you know, those yearbooks like most likely to. This woman is most, most unlikely to encounter Jesus. OK, that's that's the title she would have. Most unlikely to ever spend time with Jesus because, you know, she's Seraphonician. So she's Phoenician. Um, which means she's of that region, but at that time, Syria administered the region, so that's why Syro-Phoenician. Um, but it says she's a Gentile, so basically that just means she's not a Jew. Okay, so she's a Gentile, she's not a Jew, but also in that region, that's the, you know, that's like Canaanite region, that's the region where uh, Baal worship originated from. So you have someone who's a woman, who's not a Jew, 
Okay, Syrophoenician, uh, Baal worship is from her region. She was probably grew up and that was a part of her history. And so she's really unlikely to meet Jesus. But we're going to see a Jesus that I love because it's a Jesus who crosses borders. We already see a Jesus who crosses borders physically. He's crossed boundary lines from one region to another. Now he's about to cross all those borders I just mentioned to meet someone because he has an appointment. And I love that because we serve a God who crosses borders. You know, think about your story. Think about our story. A God who crosses borders to meet with us. I think about all the things that, you know, I would have been without Jesus Christ. And you're almost like, why? Well, why does Jesus cross borders? You know, why does Jesus cross borders to meet us? Well, he crosses borders to find us because we were lost, you know. And for some of us, that was like south of the border. Um, you know, you think about that. Even, even, even in the news this morning, I woke up and I was watching TV and I was watching the border disputes with, you know, people right now. And it's like, man, I thought, man, what a Jesus, a Jesus who crosses borders to find us. He crosses borders to, to rescue us. You know, he rescues us from our sin. And he crosses borders ultimately to save us. That's why he came. And, you know, it's just amazing. Aren't, we, aren't you glad that we have a Jesus that crossed the border to encounter you? I don't know what you came with today, but just think about your story. You know, think about a Jesus who crossed the border to rescue you, a Jesus who crossed the border to find you. And so we find this woman. Her heart is broken. She's got this little daughter, and it's an unclean spirit that's in her. We don't know the manifestation, you know, of whatever this spirit was. Uh, we don't know how it was exactly manifesting itself, but it was unclean. Any demonic spirit is always unclean. And so she's pleading with Jesus because her options, she's out of options. You know, we talked about Baal worship. Don't you think she probably tried, you know, everything that, you know, her, her region, everything culturally that the people would have said to heal her daughter? Imagine all the things that she probably tried, whether it was Baal or whether it was something else. And she's saying, I'm out of options. And somehow she's heard of this Jesus. You know, maybe she went to Galilee. Maybe she saw him. But somehow she heard of him. And she's saying, you know what? This is the person I think is going to be able to help me. And so verse 26, it says, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her. If uh, you have your uh, Bibles with you, turn over with me just really quick to Matthew chapter 15, because the same account is in Matthew chapter 15. And I like what it says in verse 23. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 23, it says, But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us. Okay, so the disciples are not having any of it. They're really trying to get their R&R, &R, Okay. But it says she keeps shouting at us and she continues and she continues to ask. She continues to ask. She keeps asking. And Matthew 15, 23 is significant to me because think about it. It says Jesus doesn't say anything at first. Think about how many times we ask Jesus for something. She keeps asking, you know, she keeps asking. And Jesus doesn't say anything at first, but she's going to be persistent. I don't know if you have children, but it's just like my kids. Like, you know, they keep asking. I try to be silent. That tactic doesn't work. Um, they continue to ask. And it's just like her here. She keeps asking. And um, he doesn't say anything at first, but he doesn't mean it's not he's not listening. You know, it doesn't mean Jesus isn't listening. I don't know if you've been asking 
for something of Jesus. But I want to say this morning today, hey, if you've been praying for something, if you've been asking Jesus for something, it doesn't mean he's not listening. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's not listening to you. Just because he's silent doesn't mean he's rejected your request. Sometimes he's waiting, and I don't want you to be, you know, discouraged by the fact that, man, I don't know if Jesus is hearing me. I'm not sure if Jesus is really you know, listening. Just because he's silent doesn't mean that he's not listening. He's listening to our requests. He's listening to our prayers. So the disciples are like, listen, send her away, okay? Um, Get rid of her, do something, send her away, but you got Jesus, you got to do something, okay? Disciples have about as much sensitivity as like a brick um, at this point. You know, they're not, they're just not really like understanding it. And so um, we see Jesus engage her, And the first thing he says is this. So Matthew 15, 24, and we're going to stay here for a second. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, understand this for a second. Jesus' ministry is to the Jews first. And he constantly says that. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 5, Jesus says a lot of times, hey, my ministry is to the Jews. Now, that could seem harsh, but if you understand for a second, Jesus' ministry is to the Jews because they were the arm that was supposed to reach everyone. Even Paul talks about this in Romans 1.16. He says, to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile, meaning Jesus says, hey, listen, disciples, stay with me. We're still on plan, okay? My mission, and not even just to, um, I'll go back to this verse, not even just to the house of Israel, but notice those two words, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, those who don't understand that I'm the Messiah, Because I know through them, the whole world will be saved. You know, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That's the goal. And so he says, listen, stay focused, but also watch what I'm going to do right here with this woman. And so she keeps asking him and the disciples, like I said, are getting really irritated. And I was actually, I was just recently in California. I was talking with, I was speaking and I was talking with um, some of the guys there and we were talking about Jesus and how all his encounters with women. I talked about John chapter four and Jesus in John chapter eight, you know, with the adulterous woman, just his compassion and his understanding of emotions. And we all came to this conclusion that Jesus understands women. We don't. Okay. Jesus understands women. We don't. Okay. Um, and, and listen, I have my amazing, patient, beautiful wife. Her name is Morgan. She's here with me this morning and I'm getting better. Okay, we just had our 15th anniversary in April, so um, thank you. I'm getting better, but I will say we don't totally understand women, okay? And now, guys, this is not the, the time to, like, leave me hanging on an island and look at your wife and be like, honey, I don't know what he's talking about. I understand you. Like, be honest, okay? Uh, we don't understand, you know? And sometimes, you know, you ever had, ladies, you guys use this all the time. Ladies, you say a lot of times after you're just trying to explain something to us and you're like, ah, you know, you're such a guy, right? You, you ever get that and it's like, okay, I, I'm done trying to explain this to you. Like that line, fellas, means like they're done trying to explain it. They don't get it. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, we were just laughing about this, but Jesus engages her you know, because think about this, like men and women are different. They're made different spiritually, emotionally, physically. Jesus engages her, you know, emotionally the way she's supposed to. And I think he's even showing the disciples at this time, like, hey, listen, you know, this is how I'm going to engage her. I want you to watch this. Watch me engage her differently because that's how she should be engaged. And so I'm going to jump back over to Mark. 
and he was saying to her, so he engages her again. He says, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. If you look over in Matthew where we were before, he says the same thing. It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, you might be here this morning and you might be like, what? Jesus. That's rough. Hey, that's pretty rough. That's a rough way to approach her. Like, Jesus, don't you know about the Me Too movement and everything's happened? Um, But I want to break this down so you understand culturally what he was saying to her. I want to break this down so you understand how he's engaging to her. And keep this in mind, the idea of Jew first and then also to the Gentile or Jew first and then also to the Greek. So let the little children be satisfied first. He's simply drawing an analogy saying, listen, he's putting her in a category. He's not he's not saying to her, hey, like you female, you woman, like you're a dog. He's not saying that. Um, and I don't think I also, some scholars will explain it away and saying he's testing her and he might've been testing her faith. She has great faith. We'll see that in a minute, but he's saying, Hey, listen, this is the plan. I want to remind you. So I'm going to give you an analogy to remind you of the plan that my plan is that salvation comes through the Jews. And then the Jews would be that arm to take it to the Gentiles. So it's almost like, hold on, wait a minute. It's not quite your turn yet, but salvation to you is coming. Salvation to you is coming and it's going to come through the Jews. And so he uses an analogy. He says, you know, if you put food at the table for the children, you wouldn't put the food at the table for the children and take that food you were going to give the children and give it to the dogs. Meaning, hey, this is why I've come specifically. But those who hear from, you know, those who are Jews and and obviously along the way, he's engaging others, too. He's engaging Gentiles, too. But he's saying this is my plan for how this is going to happen. And the word dog um, there is canarion or canario in the Greek. That word basically means like little dog or little puppy. Okay? And we don't know how Jesus said this. He might have been smiling. He might have kind of, you know, kind of said this in a way. We, you know, we weren't there, so we don't know the implications. But it's almost like the word for a little puppy that would be in the house okay, with everyone else that would kind of, you know, have the table scraps you know, that might fall, something like that. And so it's not like the word in Greek used for like wild dogs or ravaging dogs. Jesus doesn't, he doesn't say it like that. So I want you to understand some of those. And here's the thing I think is awesome. She's pretty quick because she comes right back and she doesn't dispute it. She says this, but she came and began to bow down before him. So she's coming humbly. She says, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, yes, Lord. Everybody say, yes, Lord. Lord. Man, what if every time Jesus asked us something, we responded first with, yes, Lord. You know, because she's going to come back. But the first thing she says is, yes, Lord. But yes, Lord, I know. Yes, Lord, this is true. But. She's not disputing. She's not arguing. She's not saying, how dare you call me a dog? She's not saying that. She's responding in, yes, Lord, this is true, but I'm just asking for the crumbs. But she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. I think that's extremely witty, but she's persistent. She's persistent in her seeking of Jesus. She's desperate for Jesus because she knows that nothing else besides Jesus at this point for her will do. And look at verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, oh, woman, your faith is great and it shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. Think about that. Great is thy faith. 
She's the only woman that Jesus ever said that to. That great is your faith. She's the only one. What I would have done to amaze Jesus with my faith. But think about how she comes. Think about how she comes to Jesus. See, what does her faith in Jesus look like? And I think it's like this. Her faith in Jesus looks like this. Her faith in Jesus is humble. Her faith in Jesus is reverent. But her faith in Jesus is relentless. Her faith in Jesus is humble, it's reverent, but it's relentless. Think about how she comes. She bows before him saying, Lord, help me. She even understands this. I love that she says in Matthew, we see, oh, son of David. Think about this for a second. Jesus has left a region where everyone who's religious leaders and scholars should know that he's the Messiah, but they don't get it. And he's constantly trying to convince them, and they're trying to kill him. And he goes to a region that's not Jewish, and he encounters the woman most unlikely to meet Jesus, and she recognizes that he's the Messiah when she says, oh, son of David. That's amazing to me. And so her faith is founded in him, and she comes to him humbly. She doesn't come with a sense of entitlement. You know, sometimes I, I think about this when I pray. I don't know if you ever prayed. You almost pray like you should get it. You almost pray like we're entitled. Sometimes we pray, and our prayers are a prayer of like, you know, and we, we almost come with entitlement. I love how she comes. She comes humbly, you know, almost like, you know what? It's not going to be based on anything I can do because everything I can do is just filthy rags. And she understands that. But she says, but you and nothing else but you will do. And Jesus says, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Because we should come to Jesus saying, hey, I don't deserve anything, but I'm really, really hoping, Jesus, for your grace. And she illustrates such a great point, and I think it's this, is that a lot of times we're bigger sinners than we want to admit. We're bigger sinners than we would admit. You know, sometimes we say, like, I'm not a liar. I just tell a couple lies. No, we're liars. You know? I just stole a couple times. No, we're liars. We're thieves. We're, you know, we're bigger sinners than we would admit. But Jesus is a bigger savior than we ever thought. We're bigger sinners than we would admit, but Jesus is a bigger savior than we ever thought. And I love how she comes because she comes like that. And it reminds me in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, but God who is rich in mercy, despite everything. You start to read Romans and listen, if you read the first five, or six chapters of Romans, you might get depressed. You're like, whoo, sin this is heavy. Um, but Romans 5, 8 says, but God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So she comes broken and she's desperate and she's respectful, but she's persistent. She's persistent in her going after Jesus. And so with a word, he does it. It says, oh, woman, your faith is great. It shall be done for you. And her daughter was healed at once. You think about the household that she went back to. I don't know what that was like. I don't know what her household was like before, but imagine going back and just opening the door, maybe seeing her daughter and seeing her daughter just in peace. You know, I don't know how she was tormented if she was like, you know, still 14 and in the terrible twos, you know, terrible twos, you're like, don't throw that. And I don't know if it's like, hey, you know what, like, don't throw that boulder at someone. Like, I don't know. You know, I don't know what she was, how she was tormented or what the unclean spirit was doing in her. But imagine her going back to her house and seeing her daughter just at peace. Jesus' restoration. He doesn't have to go. Just with a word, Jesus speaks it, and it's done. 
And I think about those that we have who are in torment in a different way. Think about those loved ones or those friends that we know that might not be an unclean spirit, but they're still in torment. And uh, is our desperation for Jesus. Think about that woman's desperation for her daughter to meet Jesus. Our desperation for Jesus like that. Do we have a desperation for Jesus that says, I'm so desperate for him. I want him in my life and I'm desperate for others. I'm desperate for others as well. You know, for my, my friends or my family, that nephew, that uncle, that person who we know that hasn't met Jesus yet. I imagine her household when she comes back, and that had to be awesome. Let's continue because we're going to finish up. So verse 31, Mark chapter 7, verse 31, uh, we're going to see kind of the same thing. And he went again out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought him one who was deaf. And spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took aside, took him aside from the crowd by himself, and put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Think about the, the similarities in both these stories. Both these stories have people who are desperate for someone they know to come to Jesus, and so they're seeking him on their behalf and first story it was the woman who was seeking jesus for his daughter in the second story it's his friends it says they brought him to jesus they're desperate for jesus in this case to work a miracle in this case these men in verse 20 or excuse me verse 32 are desperate for jesus in two phrases it says these men are desperate for jesus but the two phrases from both stories it says she begged jesus if you read it in the niv she begged jesus In this one, it says, they begged Jesus. So my question today is, are we desperate for Jesus? You know, are we desperate for Jesus? I saw a bumper sticker. I was riding down the road to see all kinds of bumper stickers. I saw a bumper sticker that said, have you tried Jesus lately? I saw a bumper sticker that said, give Jesus a try. I was like, man, I want a bumper sticker that says, are we desperate for Jesus? You know, are we desperate for him? Because it would... How would that look in our lives? How would that look if we were really, really seeking him like everyone else in these stories is seeking him? And we're desperate for a lot of things. You know, right now I'm desperate for LeBron James to come back to Miami. I don't know if my desperation will be fulfilled. It probably won't be, but, you know. But if you think about some of the things that we're desperate for, you're probably like, this is the one place I can come and not hear about him. And you're like, you just ruined it. Um, You know, think about some of the things that we're desperate for. A lot of us are, you know, some people are desperate to, you know, be informed, whatever that is, the news, sports, you know, we'll spend a lot of time on it. Some people are desperate after like health and fitness. So think about the time, think about the energy they spend on those things. Some people are desperate for appearance, you know. I mean, in South Florida alone, I see people were like, we're zapping stuff, we're like electrocuting stuff, you know, we're freezing stuff, we're just, you know, we're desperate for our appearance to look, right? But Many of the things that we're desperate for or that we put a lot of time and energy into are temporary things. They're things that, you know, only th- it will only be beneficial for just a short time. You know, in First Timothy chapter four, you know, it says, you know, that, that discipline, you know, physical discipline is good for this world. But spiritual discipline is good not just for this world, but for the next life as well. You know? 
So what are we desperate for? What are we desperate to see happen? I love it. It says they brought him to Jesus. I imagine, you know, think about it. He can't hear. He can barely speak. He might, a speech impediment. Um, in, a, in some other ways that word is used in the Greek, it might have means he almost couldn't speak at all. Okay, so he can't hear and he can't speak. And so he might have no idea when his friends grab him and are, they might be dragging him to Jesus, but they brought him to Jesus. I wonder if he was like, what's going on right now? You know, he's just, just pulling me through these crowds. I'm coming to this guy. You know, what's going on? And I thought, man, when's the last time we brought someone to Jesus? When's the last time we grabbed someone and we said, like, listen, you got to go. I'm not taking no for an answer. You coming to church with me this week. This is the week. I don't know if anyone knows Matt Chandler. Um, his conversion stories is just a wonderful teacher. He teaches in Village Church. Um, and I love hearing his conversion story because he talks about how he was in high school. And when he was in high school, he said there was a friend who was playing football with him. And his friend came up to him and said, like, hey, I'm going to share Jesus with you. We're going to talk about salvation. Just let me know when you want to do it. And he said he's kind of like, uh, okay. He's like, yeah, it's going to happen. Hey, just do you just tell me when just give me the time. And whenever that time happens, like that's when we'll do it. Like, but you're going to do it. You know, it was like his friend was not going to take no for an answer. His friend's going to say, we're going to talk about this. Jesus, you know, you just tell me when and where. And I think that's our job. Our job is to bring people to Jesus, not necessarily to a church. Because right now, I mean, I love this. We're meeting in a school. We can meet anywhere. We can meet in someone's house. Our job is to bring people to Christ. Let them meet him. It's not religion. It's not rules. Jesus didn't come for rules. I hope you're seeing this as Josiah teaches this book in Mark chapter 7. Jesus didn't come for rules. Rules are so we can kind of like compare each other on a scale. Jesus came for relationship. He came for relationship. And that's our job. How often do we beg Jesus? So let's finish. It says he took him aside from the crowd by himself. I love this because Jesus wants to get personal. I was, I was watching this. Uh, my son watches the weirdest stuff on TV. My oldest son. So we're watching like dead, the world's deadliest, uh, you know, underwater, deep, dark water creatures. I'm like, why are you turning this show on? So we're watching this show and it's got these huge jellyfish that are like nine feet. You know, I'm scared. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to go on the beach at all. Um, and we're watching these huge jellyfish just like float through and it shows this little something almost as small as a flea um, that attaches itself to this jellyfish and it eats the jellyfish. Like slowly eats this huge jellyfish that slowly eats it but then it shows like a crab that comes along and eats these little fleas off so jellyfish is like happy. And I'm looking at all this and I'm like this is wild. We have a God who has macro knowledge of everything in the universe and micro knowledge of everything in the universe, but still wants to have a personal relationship with us. He's still waiting for us, and he's always there waiting for us to meet him. I was joking with someone the other day. I was like, it's like that emoji on your phone. You know emoji on your phone when a person's like, hey, I'm over here. It's like Jesus is like waiting like, hey, I'm here whenever you're ready. Like he's waiting for us to come meet him all the time. He wants a personal relationship with a God that knows all that, wants to meet us personally. And I see him here at the same way meeting this person. So he took him by himself, a personal experience, and he does it in an interesting way. So it says he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. Now, I think why does Jesus do it this way? But I think he does it this way because that's what the man needed. 
You know, you think about the things that he had encountered in his life. You think about the things that he had, um, think about the things that he had gone through probably in his life, dealing with both of these things all his life. He has great friends that bring him to Jesus. But, you know, this is what he does. And it says, and putting his fingers into his ears and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And. You know, it's just amazing. And now I do want to get this out of the way just for a second. Um, Jesus did not spit on this guy's tongue. Hey, everybody with me? The Greek is really clear. And, I, and listen, I don't care if you couldn't hear and you couldn't talk. If someone grabbed your tongue and they're like, <laughs> you're, you're going to be like, no, nah, I'm not with that program. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's not happening. In the Greek, it says after spitting. Or once that was over, then he touched his tongue. Okay, um, but you think about why did he do it that way? Because that man—that's what he needed. He needed like Jesus to quietly pull him aside, say like, "I'm here with you," like he does with us. You know, he pulls aside, "I'm here with you," and he's gonna—he's gonna meet the man the way the man needs to be met. And he does that with us. And he meets us at the source of our pain, so he can bring healing to us. You know, this person doesn't have a human dialect. He doesn't have any way to communicate. Just think about, but he, but he has feelings, and Jesus understands that. I imagine this man, like, seeing a sunny day, and he, he understands the feeling. You know, we have the feeling, we have the verbiage to describe, like, a sunny day, or we have the verbiage to describe a rainy day, or we have the verbiage to describe, you know, in some way we try the love we have. He doesn't have that, but he has that feeling. He has those same feelings, but he doesn't have a human, you know, dialect yet. And Jesus meets him right where he needs to be met. And even this part, it says right here, you know, if you look, it says, looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Afatha, that is, be opened. He sighed. I read that and I thought, I wonder how many times this man dealing with both of his issues probably looked up at heaven and just sighed. I wonder how many times he looked up at heaven and just said, like, Lord, like, you see me? You know, Lord, do you see me dealing with it? I want to think about our issues. How many times, you know, we deal with things and we kind of look up and just say, like, Lord, you know, you see what I'm going through? But Jesus meets him there. It says he sighed. Some translations say he groaned. And then it says afatha, meaning be open. And in Hebrews 4.15, it reminded me of where it says that, uh, you know, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with us. We don't have a high priest who can't understand. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, it talks about how Jesus became just like us so he can experience what we experienced. You know, Jesus knows the language of our heart. And even though he doesn't have a human dialect, Jesus knows the language of his heart. And he meets him there. And it says, and his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began to speak plainly. Think about that. He doesn't have to go to like speech classes. He doesn't have to go through vocabulary. It's not like all of a sudden he just learned to talk and he's two years old or he's four years old. Jesus says, listen, in an instant, I'm going to catch you up with everything. So you can just talk, you know, just like you've been talking your whole life. That's amazing. That is amazing. And that's what he does. And so it says, his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began to speak plainly. And then in verse 36, and he gave them orders not to tell anyone. But the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. Jesus says, don't tell anybody. They tell everybody. 
Jesus tells us, tell everybody. We don't tell anybody. <laughs> I was like, if Jesus said, like, don't tell anyone. We were like, oh, no, we're going to go tell everyone. You know, you think about that. And they start to tell everyone. It reminded me, it's just like my children. I say, like, don't say this. Immediately, like, they run around the house proclaiming that word over and over again. Um, just the reverse. But all of a sudden, they start to go tell everyone. And they start to proclaim it. In verse 37, they were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. I love that phrase. He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He has done all things well. People who were desperate to see Jesus work, people who were desperate to see him work, but not even for themselves, but for others that they loved, others that they cared about so much, whether it was something physical or whether it was a spirit. But I think, man, are we desperate for Jesus, but not just desperate for Jesus for ourselves. Are we desperate to see Jesus work in the lives of others? Are we begging Jesus? Are we bringing people for Jesus? Are we saying, Jesus, you're the only one who can work. You're the only one who can do this. God, you're the only one. So we've tried everything else. And we know nothing else will do. It's just you. And I'm just looking around this room. There may be stories of, you know, some stories we've been praying. My wife and I were talking about, um, you'll like this. My wife and I were talking about how there's things that um, I've been reading in this. And I said, man, I can't preach this without applying some things this week. So just know as I'm preaching this to you, I'm preaching this to myself because, um, and, and those stories are long. Those stories are sometimes like five years long. Sometimes 10 years long. You may have a story in here that's like 20 years long where you're saying, like, this is what's been happening. But, you know, I'm going to bring this. Jesus, I'm going to continue. I'm not going to get discouraged. Hey, I'm going to continue to bring this before you because I know you can work no matter what the situation. And so what I wanted to do today to close was um, we're going to close in a second with just a worship song. But um, I wanted to I wanted to do this, that if you're someone in here who says, I've been praying for a really long time for someone. And maybe you've been discouraged and you just need encouragement. Um, we want to pray for you. So if there's someone, maybe it's a physical thing. Um, maybe it's, you know, something that, you know, someone's just away from God and they've been wrestling with issues, you know, maybe not tormented by unclean spirit, but they've been tormented by their own issues. If that's you, if you're in here and there's someone that's on your heart, they say, I've been praying for this person for a long time and I just need to be encouraged. Would you just stand up? Because we want to pray for you. So if you're someone in here that's just been praying for someone for a really long time and you say, I just need to be encouraged because I'm a little discouraged and I want God to work. I want to be desperate for Jesus in the way that I know God can work in this person's life. Um, thank you for standing. And what I would say is if you're just around one of those people who are standing, could you just reach out and just put your hand on them? If you're not around them, just reach out and put your hand towards someone. Uh, maybe stand up and give them a hug. You know, maybe stand up and just say, hey, listen, I'm here for you. Um, I want to pray for you. And I'm going to just give you a minute. Um, with that person, if you're around them um, and you feel led to just pray with them for a second, and then I'm going to close us all in prayer, and then we're going to worship. So I'll just give you a second. Pray with that person that you're near. Lord, we thank you for just the prayers as people continue to pray all around this room. 
for loved ones, for people that they know need to meet you. And God, I just pray that you will work in each situation. Lord, work in their lives, work in their hearts. Lord, help us to drag people before you, whether that's physically or whether that's before your throne. Help them to bring them to the place where they can just meet you. Because that's the most important. And so, God, as we close and worship, hear our prayers, hear our hearts. In your name, amen.